Take your Bibles as you're moving back to your seat. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. It is, in some ways, what feels like a national holiday today. It's kind of unfortunate sometimes you think about it, that we care that much about football, but we do. And today is Super Bowl Sunday, and somebody asked me if I was wearing the color of the team of which I was representing today, if that's who I was rooting for. And uh, I, I actually wore it because we're a couple of days away. It's a reminder to me that Valentine's Day is coming, and I need to do something about that. Uh, but I would be, I am rooting for the Chiefs. Um, that's who most of us should be rooting for in my estimation. Uh, even though Shannon, who is a lifelong Pittsburgh Steeler fan, is going to betray his Steelers and root for the Eagles. That's what he told me earlier today. And so we are rooting for the Chiefs and against A.J. Brown. And so, in God's love, in God's love. John chapter 4. We're going to talk today. We're going to finish our series called Imprint. And over the last few weeks, what we have done is that we have talked about the things that we must get right. That if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, that these are the things that we must get right. We've centered around these ideas. And this is what we've talked about so far, that we exist, and this comes from our purpose statement, and it is the reality, the baseline of who we are. We exist to glorify God. That's what we are about. First and foremost, our job as a church, my job as an individual, the purpose for which I am created is to glorify my God. Secondly, we are standing on, believing in, living under the authority of the Word of God. That's our basis. That's our source. That's our understanding. We're doing that in order to, or what we do to glorify God, the way that we do that is that we are about creating, helping to bring along passionately devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. People that are living out the following of their Lord in a daily way, in a real way, in a total way, not a part of their lives, but their whole purpose is to follow the Lord. We talked about passing this on to the next generation, that if we're not passing our faith on to the next generation, then we are at fault when the next generation is not passionately following the Lord. And we have seen example after example, year after year, generation after generation, when fewer and fewer of our people are following the Lord. One of the things that's really exciting about the Asbury revival is that it's on a college campus it's in a college town almost everyone that is there is 23 and under god is moving among the group of people in our nation that is the least evangelized of them all and then last week we talked about that we build gospel community that that's the calling on us as believers that we are to be a people that are unified around the purpose of Christ serving one another thinking of others needs and concerns as better than our own and not looking to our own interest and so today we're going to talk about the last of those that we have to get right 
That if we get everything else right, but we miss in these areas, then we have failed. And if we get these areas right and we miss everything else, then we have succeeded. And this is the last of it. And we are going to read about it. We're going to use as our text today, John chapter 4, starting in verse 27. It says, just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with them? We're going to stop there for a second because I want to set the scene of where we are just as a reminder. This is John chapter 4. This is immediately after Jesus has had the encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. If you remember, John chapter 4 comes right after John chapter 3. And all God's people said, wow, right? That's amazing. In John chapter 3, John chapter 3 has probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture, right? John chapter 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John chapter 3 is Jesus talking with a religious leader of the day, Nicodemus. It's someone on the inside of the faith, someone on the inside of the Jewish understanding of what God had called them to do. And chapter 3 is showing Jesus evangelizing those at home. Chapter 4 is Jesus going to a territory that would not be welcoming to him and that he was not really supposed to go into as a Jewish man. And especially while he was in there, he was not supposed to talk to a Samaritan woman. And we're not going to go into detail today about why all those were there. Just understand the Jews and Samaritans did not like each other at all. The Jews felt like the Samaritans had abandoned the faith, had intermarried with uh, godless people and were no longer following what God had called them to do. They considered them traitors and people that shouldn't even be talked to. And Jesus is there and this woman's at the well. And in addition to that, in that day and time, a man did not talk to a strange woman. It just did not happen. And so the disciples, if you remember in that story, he sends them into town to set up the meeting with the woman. This is the meeting where he says, hey, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have one. He goes, you're right. You've had five and you're living with a guy that's not your husband right now. And she does what all of us would do in that moment. She changes the subject. What about worship? And they have this conversation. And at the end of that, this woman believes in Jesus as the Messiah. Not the Jewish Messiah, although he was. Not the Samaritan Messiah that had a different idea. But as the one and only Messiah. And in verse 27, the disciples return, and as they return, they see him having a conversation with this woman, and then she leaves, and they get there. I do love the detail that we get in the book of John. They all thought it, but nobody said anything, right? The disciples arrived. They were amazed. He was talking to a woman. No one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? It goes on a little bit later to say this. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, hey, rabbi, eat something. That's why he had sent him into town. He said, hey, go find us something to eat. He was going to be at the well. They had drink there. They could get some water there. But he said, hey, go get us something to eat. We'll, we'll figure out the rest here. And so they go to get something. They bring food back. And Jesus just doesn't want to eat. And he, they say to him, come on, eat, man. We need you to eat. Just eat you a little something. You got to eat. You can't just keep going without eating. And he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. 
And let me tell you one of the most encouraging things in Scripture is that the disciples don't get it about as much as I don't get it with God. Because look what they say. Did, did someone give him something to eat? Did he sneak some food that we didn't know about? He had some Twinkies hidden in the pouch over there that wasn't around. Well, like, how, What do you mean you had food? Could someone have brought him something to eat? Verse 34, this kind of conversation continues. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told them. And then he said to them, don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I am telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. He goes on to continue his teaching saying this. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I have sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. So Jesus, in this moment, after having a conversation with the Samaritan woman, they come back. Jesus has just taken his message of being the Messiah to someone outside of the Jewish faith. Not quite Gentile, but also not Jewish. The kingdom is beginning to expand. The message is beginning to go out. It's one of my favorite moments. How many of you here have watched any of The Chosen? Anybody watched any of The Chosen? One of my favorite moments in that series is the last scene of that first season when this is happening and the disciples are like, he's dismissed the woman, he gets through this part and they're like, we can tell. Like, it's okay, we can go tell, it's time to tell. Like, they've been wanting to tell people so much. Jesus is bursting open. It is time to tell. It is ready to go. And it is a Samaritan woman that is to whom he has shared this message of being the Messiah. And in this moment, he says to them, it's time. Look unto the harvest. It is ripe and ready. Let's go. The last thing that we must get right as a church if we're going to be the faithful church to which God has called us to be, the last thing we have to get right is that we must be a church that prays for, sins to, and participates in the harvest. That prays for, sins to, and participates in the harvest. Now this isn't the only place that he talks about the harvest. And I realize that that metaphor doesn't hit as hard for many of us as it did for our generations before. I, I did not grow up on a farm, but my grandparents did. And I would hear them talk about that day. My dad grew up in, and we, he grew up in West Tennessee. My dad still, in his day, they got a couple of weeks off of school to harvest cotton. He, he said, I had to, they didn't live on a farm, but he said, I had, my mama wasn't like, you can just lay at home and not do anything. He went out and harvested cotton. Can you imagine the Facebook post today? School is dismissed to harvest. But the point was, in that day, when harvest was ready, you went and got it before it ruined. When I was in Ripley pastoring, we had lots of people that were in agriculture, still had few people that had large tracts of land down by the Mississippi River and what they called the bottoms. And when it got to be harvest time, 
They went all out all the time to get that harvest in as quickly as possible. Jesus basically looks at his disciples and says, the seed has been sown, it has grown, it is time to harvest, let's go. And as a church, there is a harvest of souls that is out there that we need to be praying for, sending to, and participating in. Let's start with prayer. We must be a church that prays for the harvest. Now, specifically in this way, we need to be a church that prays for those that are working in the harvest, pray for those that should go to the harvest, pray that God would raise up workers for the harvest, and pray for the people that need to hear about Jesus. Over in Matthew chapter, I mean, not, excuse me, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending out the 72 disciples. He's sending them out. And before he sends them out, he gives them this. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, he said, He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. What I think is interesting here is he's getting ready to send these people out. And he says, the, the, the harvest is abundant out there. You're going out into it. He doesn't tell them, hey, attack it and pray that God will give you wisdom as you go. He says, you're great. We need more. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. There are a few places in Scripture where Jesus gives us specific things to pray for. And I think if Jesus gives us specific things to pray for, they ought to be pretty important. And this is one of the areas. And part of your prayer life needs to be, Lord, send more out. Send out workers into the field. And Lord, I pray for the workers that are there. Just in the last few weeks, there have been a couple of things that I've added to my routine to help me in this way. A couple of apps that you may or may not know are available for most of your phones. And some of you don't have phones with apps. There's material that you get all the time from our church. We can provide you with it if you need it for prayer resources. But let me show you a couple of apps that you can use to kind of help you along in this journey. These are both from the International Mission Board. One is IMB Advance the Kingdom. It is simply an app that shows stories of missionaries that are currently there that help you to pray for missionaries, to help you to understand their needs, to help you in that moment. This is produced things. You'll see uh, different areas that you can pray for, specifically the global impact of what is there. This is just kind of the, the scene that this is the actual page of what it will look like if you're on an Apple device. That's what I use to, in the App Store. But IMB Advance the Kingdom is the name. Or IMB Pray, which is a little more slimmed down version. And it literally, you can open it up and there's a little place right here that says Today's Prayer. If you go there today and you hit Today's Prayer, which I did and begin to pray, there's a lot about the earthquakes in the Middle East. And a specific need that are there. Sometimes a missionary will put a specific need up that you can pray for that day. Or there will be a people group that you can pray for that specific day. That's very micro level. I want to pray today for this group of people. So both of these, IMB Advance the Kingdom, IMB Pray, are great resources. 
Here's another one. I've used the book for years and they have an app for it now. And it's called Operation World. And it literally is a prayer guide for every day. For somewhere around the world. So for instance, today, February 12th, there are praying for Algeria. It shows you a map of where Algeria is, the Algerian flag. There's another one that will show a kind of relation to the world. It has a general page about prayer, what your prayer for them today can be, some stats about them, about percent of them that are believers, percent that are there. You'll be shocked at the number of countries that it's zero or one percent. And then on the more tab, you can just get more information about it. But they've spent two days, it says, praying. There'll be two different days of prayer for Algeria. And Operation World, open it up and you can pray intelligently today for people around the world. We must be a church that is praying for the harvest. The second thing that we must do is we must be a church that sends to the harvest. We have to be a church that sends people, according to our understanding of Acts 1-8, here locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. We have to be sending people out on short-term mission trips. People ask why we go to Brazil, why we go to Denver, and there's some obvious answers to that. But one of the things that I get sometimes is there's so many needs at home. Why would you want to spend the money to go to Brazil? There's so much stuff we could do here. Why would you want to go to Denver? Why would you want to do that? And the answer to that is simple because we're told to. I don't believe that the Great Commission or Acts 1-8 is for a certain group of people or a certain group of churches. I believe it is for all people, all churches that are followers of Jesus Christ, that we are called to go locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. We are called to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with everything in our power. And we are sowing seeds in areas where seeds need to be sown. And sometimes we are reaping the harvest where seeds have been sown for so many years first time I ever stood up to preach in Brazil I gave the simplest most concise sermon I have ever given through an interpreter it took 14 minutes which means it took 7 minutes of me talking there was nothing spectacular or great about that message it was John 3.16 from beginning to end And I talked about a couple of things related to their culture that a couple of them had told me that week. And then I said, and if you want to receive Christ, you come now. And in that particular area of Brazil, we had over 60 people come to Christ that night. Now, here's what I want to tell you. For the weeks before that, for the three or four weeks before that, there had been mission teams sharing the gospel in that area. I just got to be the one that said, come. We're going to talk in a minute. It doesn't matter whether we're sowing or reaping. Being part of the harvest is doing one or the other. Sometimes it's watering in the midst of the sowing and the reaping. Romans 10 says this, How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good 
news. We have to be part of sending short-term mission teams, but we also have to be a part of calling our people, calling you, calling our young people, calling our, our people that are not as young as they used to be, calling our people that try to think they're still young, and calling our people that have given up on being young completely. We need to call all people to be a part of what God has called us to do in sending you out to the nations. And that means short-term missions, but it also means that there are people that grow up in and are part of this congregation that need to and are called to go give their lives in full-time ministry or full-time missions. In fact, I believe that there are people in the room today That God is calling you to full-time missions. And maybe you're a student. Maybe you're in a career. You're in a profession. Into full-time ministry. Into full-time missions. And for some of you, you have rejected that call. You have said you're not doing that. For some of you, it's a new thing. But God has commissioned me today to tell you it is time to obey. We need to be a church that is unapologetically calling out people to go into it and to honor those that choose to do it. I read a statistic this week that the percentage of pastors in evangelical church under the age of 40 is lower than it has ever been. Now, you can have one or two options about that you can either say god has stopped calling people to do that profession and to fulfill that role or you can say people aren't listening and we're not doing the job that we've been called to to raise them up yes absolutely god can use people in a variety of ministries And a variety of professions. In fact, one of the things International Mission Board needs now are people that have regular, secular, they call it, professions that are also going to be church planters. That can go be engineers in in Europe or in the Middle East. That can go be teachers teaching second languages, English as a second language in places. There, being uh, business people that can start businesses. It's amazing the number of of, uh, international missionaries I've heard recently that have started coffee businesses. It's just kind of the thing to do. You start a coffee business, but they're entrepreneurs. And while they're there, they have a coffee shop and they have Bible study in their coffee shop. And then they begin to have a church in their coffee shop. Or they're working in in an engineering firm. And on the side, they're helping church planters that are in need of a team to help them do the work that God's called them to do. Or they're moving to another part of the United States to help somebody planting a church. Um, We work, many of you know, with Journey Point Church in Denver, Colorado area. We're going back this this uh, summer and one of the people that moved out there to be really Chris Phillips who's the pastor's right hand man moved out there doing construction and has a construction business and is vital in that and last year was kind of cool because he would work construction in the morning we were there or two years ago to do camp he would come and teach woodworking in the afternoon to the kids there they built birdhouses and all kinds of stuff but he went in that job so yes But part of that calling for people is not just, hey, that's what I'm going to do with my life, but how can I invest in the kingdom of God through whatever God has given me as my gifts and talents and training? 
We must be a church that prays for, sins to, and then lastly participates in the harvest. Back to John chapter 4. It says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. Now, if you were following along in your Bible and not just following me up on the screen, you know that I skipped a few verses when I first read that passage of Scripture. That was intentional, not because I don't think those verses are important, but I wanted to save them for this moment. Because here's what I love about this particular passage of Scripture. They come to Jesus and they're like, hey man, you got to focus on food. you got to focus on what you have. you got to focus on the reality of today and here and now and the food that you've got and the physical nature that you have and the physical desires you want and the physical things that are going on in your life. And Jesus says, I've got something more important than that happening. And the verses that I skipped show us what is happening while this conversation is going on with his disciples. Look at the ones I skipped. Verse 28, the woman left her water jar, left it. She came for water. She left what she came for because she had been filled with something else. That'll preach right there, right? Went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? In other words, I found him. Come out. Believe me. Come see. And then verse 30 says, they left the town and made their way to him. Now, here's the picture I want you to get. All right. And so Jesus goes back. She leaves as Jesus coming to the disciples. We get the picture. I know we read it and it seems like a very simple conversation. Hey, Jesus, do you need something to eat? No, I'm good. God's doing other things. Oh, okay. Did somebody give you something to eat? And he goes, no, the harvest is there. But this was a lengthy conversation. Okay, this is a at the dinner table, your kid won't eat their peas conversation. All right. Like you need to eat the peas. You haven't touched your peas. Jesus, you haven't had your food. We brought you some food. Did you not tell us to go get you food? I thought we were supposed to get you food. We went and got you food like an extended conversation. And while they're having the extended conversation, the woman goes into town in the middle of the square and says, you're not going to believe I found the Messiah. He told me everything I've ever done. Come see him. I know where he is. He's out at the well. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And they start finding towards them and from people that have been there I have not that have seen this scene says that what this water well is that as you're looking out towards the town you could have seen the crowd coming towards Jesus and as this town is coming towards Jesus it's almost as Jesus says guys quit asking about the food the harvest is plentiful And as the Samaritan people, the ones that the Jewish rulers would have said, you're not even supposed to go there, are coming towards Jesus. He looks at them and says, it's time to get to work. This is what we're about. And I want to tell you something, church. If we get all the other stuff right, and we keep this building up and our budget is met, and we hire good staff people and our Sunday schools are got a lot of people coming to them, but we aren't participating in the harvest, then we have failed. Because that is the reason we're here. 
we're going to have eternity to spend with each other. We're going to have eternity to sit and learn about Jesus. I'm not saying those things are unimportant. They're very important. They're part of our imprint series. When we get to eternity, we don't have any more opportunity to evangelize. We don't have any other opportunity to reap. We have it here and now. And if we don't prioritize participating in the harvest, we fail. There's an important thing in the midst of that, too. He says in there that sometimes you're going to reap what you haven't sown, and sometimes you're going to sow and not reap. And so we as a church need to realize, it's not. I'm not talking about numbers. I'm not talking about baptismal waters being stirred 30 a week. What I am talking about is we have to be part of either reaping or sowing. And if we're not experiencing reaping, we still must be sowing. So what do you mean by that, Pastor? You mean just to go out and do some good things in the community? Well, it's important to do good things in the community, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actual evangelism. You see, there's this, this, this saying that goes around that's accredited to St. Francis of Assisi that nobody has ever proven came actually from him that says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Like you've heard that before. Can I tell you something from Scripture? It's always necessary to use words. To explain the reason we're doing what we're doing. Just doing good works is not enough. There must be verbal proclamation of the gospel and telling people about their need for Jesus. So what does that look like? Well, we've had trainings here before that told people how to get it down into 30 seconds. I've had trainings where they try to get it to 10 minutes. Here's the basics of it, and we don't have time to do the whole Acts 2 sermon. But Acts 2 gives you a model what it is. Acts 2 is the day of Pentecost. Peter stands up to preach and he gives us the model of how we share our faith. And the first thing we do is we meet them where they are. Now, he did it in a weird way. He says, we're not drunk. But they're asking questions. What's going on? Hey, we're not drunk. We meet them where they are. Secondly, we tell them about Jesus. Peter says, the Spirit of God has moved. And Jesus, whom you crucified. There has never been a more offensive way to share Jesus than Peter did on Pentecost. Jesus, whom you crucified, is the Son of God. And then we call for a response. It's simple. Hey, I know that you may have some areas in your life where you don't feel fulfilled. Let me tell you what changed me. His name is Jesus. He lived a perfect life, died for my sins, and rose from the grave. And he calls for you to do the same. Have you ever considered following Jesus? Now, you can get much more in-depth of that. And if they just say yes, that doesn't automatically change things. It opens the conversation. But we have to be participating in the gospel. In organized ways, participating in the harvest, and in unorganized ways. Cubicle to cubicle, office to office, front door to front door. Neighbor to neighbor, across the back fence, we have to be engaged in sowing and reaping. And somebody in this group, some people in this group, have to give their lives to it completely. We must be a church that prays for, sins to, and participates in the harvest. We exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's our purpose statement. 
It's the basis of this imprint series, and this series has been about what we must be about. What must be our DNA? What must be at the essence of who we are? And to kind of put all of that together in a somewhat concise way, this is our declaration about our imprint. We will be a church that glorifies God under the authority and power of the Word of God, making passionately devoted disciples, passing our faith to the next generation, developing true gospel community, and participating in sowing and reaping the harvest. If we get that right, then everything else collapses around us. We have won. If we get everything else right and we miss there, we fail. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray for this moment and for this day and for this church. We pray, Lord, that we would be the church that you've called us to be. That the imprint of our church would be that we are a church that glorifies you. That we are a church that stands on, believes, and lives under the authority of the word that you have given us. Or that we would be a church that is about making disciples. And passing our faith on to the next generation and developing true gospel community. And praying for and sending out and participating in the harvest of souls for your kingdom. Show us, Lord, where we need to get rid of the chaff and the wheat that is a part of what we do. And how we can focus on what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.